good evening. It's so wonderful to be back here once again on my yearly visit now. <laughs> if you open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 4, we're going to look at at least part of this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. My, my aim of this, of this message is twofold. Um, for the bulk of it, I want to encourage believers in the way of evangelism and give practical helps and encouragement. Um, I'm going to pull out about, 15, about 13 to 15 points, I'm guessing, which just jump straight out of the text. You'll see these as, as I go. And then secondly, I want to come back to a few verses and, and look at the, the saving message of the gospel in these verses. And so I'll read from John chapter 4 verse 3 to verse 42 and then we'll pray. Father, I pray that you would help me now deliver this word for your glory. I pray you would speak to each one of us here, that you would equip us, that you would give living water now. Help us to drink from you, Lord. Help us to eat of this food, which is to accomplish your will. We trust in your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in verse 3 we read, if you look with me as we go along, He, that is Jesus, left Judea and went again into Galilee. He's journeying one re from one region to another, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now this region of Samaria, it was on the natural route, or you say route, don't you? I heard in the car, yeah? Um, but in the providence of God... I think the necessity here of traveling through Samaria is, is because God, who works all things after the counsel of his will, he has ordained this encounter here with this woman at the well to save not only her soul, but many from the city. And so the first thing I, I want to point out to you here, point number one, is be aware, brethren, of the providence of God. To bring people into your life whom you can share the gospel with. We have a God. He, he not only works the orbits of all those stars out there. But he providentially works every single circumstance in your life. And so he will put certain people in your daily routines. For you to tell them about this living water of Jesus Christ. You know, I've, I've lost count of the number of times where I've been initially backward in speaking to someone about the gospel and all sorts of reasons I had flying through my head like it's going to be no use or they're not going to listen or they're probably just going to get angry with me. But when I come to my senses, and that's what repentance is, coming to your senses, because how can they hear without a preacher? And so... When I, I actually speak to them, I go away thinking, wow, 
That was of the Lord. And that's happened more than a few times where before they, before I approach them, I'm thinking they're not going to be interested. But when I do speak to them, sometimes you find people who they have all these questions and they have been thinking about eternal things. Now, how did I happen to pass the, to get in the path that day? The answer is I must needs go through Samaria. Uh, And brethren, according to Colossians 4, we are to pray for these opportunities, divine appointments, I heard them called before. Colossians 4.3 says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So you are to pray for yourself and you are to pray for others in, in the church. That God would open up doors of opportunity that you and they may share Christ with people. People often ask me, how can I pray for you? Well, that's one way. Uh, And also, typically, if you're praying for these divine appointment, these God-ordained opportunities to share the gospel, then if you're praying for them, then you're going to be more aware and alert and looking for those opportunities. And so you're going to be ready for them when they come about. If you're praying for opportunities for the gospel, this will help you in your sanctification, walking in holiness as well. Because, you know, because when you're wanting to witness to someone, let's say at your workplace or somewhere, you know, you're not likely to fly off the handle there because you're trying to be careful around them. And, And just a quick warning, because normally the first thing that happens when you start praying for God to open doors is that he does open a door, but you don't go through it. And then you end up asking for forgiveness. But when this happens, well, what do you do? You just pray that God would open another door. And then the same thing normally happens again. You don't go through it. And then, you you know, you're apologizing. You're asking for forgiveness again. And but just keep going. You know, he is a faithful God and he will continue to open those doors. And, and it may be a, a full conversation you can have, or it may, you may only have time to share a gospel tract. Give a good gospel tract to them. So number one, be aware of the providence of God. Be praying for and looking for opportunities to share the gospel. I mean, can you imagine? This is something that I often think about. You know, when I, when I get nervous of, of giving a tract to someone even, I think, you know, could you imagine seeing that person at the judgment? And, you know, and them looking across and saying, he never told me. And so verse 5 continues, So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Now, no doubt, John is giving us this background information here for verse 12, but I often get the sense of the, um, of the apostles when they wrote the Gospels that they're simply amazed at all these, every little detail of it. And I always try when I read my Bible to put myself in the text and the historical na- narratives to think what it was like if I was there, and I do suggest this because it's very, very easy when you, you know, you, you read um, 
a good missionary biography and you see a miracle in there, you see God move and you're thinking, wow, this is just awesome. Look at that. And you're telling people about it or you hear hear about a miracle or an answer to prayer and you're, you know, you're firing off emails to people and you're all excited and that that's that's great. But then you read about, you know, Jesus feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes or Jesus walks on water. You hear thousands get saved at Pentecost and you think, well, what do you expect? That's New Testament times. You know, it's, it's very easy to, to get into that mold. So, so be amazed when you read it. Just the side point there. But, but verse 6 continues. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the 6th hour, 12 p.m., the, the hottest part of the day. Now, experts in the Greek language tell me that uh, this, the language behind this it portrays here Jesus just flopping down, just simply exhausted by this well from his journey and the heat. Because although Jesus was fully God, he was indeed fully man. But look at this verse here. Jesus, he could have, he could have pulled out a book of 101 excuses why he could not witness to this woman. He was exhausted. Have you ever used that as an excuse? Or what about this one? She's someone of the opposite sex. Or what about this as an excuse not to share words of life to those who are perishing? She's an immoral woman. I mean, look at the way she's dressed. I'm trying to be a holy man. That may not be a problem here in Kurtzville, but where I come from in Manchester it is. But, so point number two is stop making excuses. You know, when we're backward in sharing the gospel, we just need to repent. That's what it boils down to. And if you, if you can't speak for whatever reason, maybe you're not confident enough yet, uh, or maybe there's time won't to allow, then you could at least give them a good gospel tract. You know, it's so easy to pass someone uh, a good tract and pray for them. We get responses from tracts and... You know, it's so easy to give them a tract, ask them what they think, invite them. You've got a good church here. You can invite them here and so forth. The I'll be honest little cards you have. And when I give those out, I always give a, if, if I'm flying by and I give a little tract, I always give them an encouragement to go on the I'll be honest website. You know, I may say, well, I'll never, I may never see you again. But you know, this is so important. Just give them a little snippet so that so they may take it up. If you go into a store or somewhere to eat, give them a tract. If two people serve you, give them both one. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I guarantee that when you've gone, many of them will start talking about it if there's two of them. I mean, we have, um, I mean, you all have these pay-by-the-pump things in the U.S., but if we go to get gasoline, you give someone... Um, a gospel tract at night, and they've got nothing to do but read it. I mean, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to rip it up and give you an angry look. But you, if you think how pathetic, because I've been out there when you're handing out tracts and things like that, you know, someone is kind of off with you, and then you get real nervous of giving one to the next person. But it's pathetic. I mean, all that's said to you is boo. <laughs> Boo. 
I mean, we, we have at home, sometimes we evangelize across a, a tram stop. And there's, there's, you maybe get 100 people on the tram stop, and uh, I may preach to them. And, and the brethren sometimes hand out tracts to the people. But, uh, but I have, with every single member of our church who's come here, I've had to point them in the right way. Because what they typically do is this. The first, they start like this. They almost encourage the people not to get the tract. They go sort of like... You know, they're so terrified. And I said, no, don't do that. You see, see what I, sh- I, I show them what I do is I give them a tract. And, and if, they, if they, like, shake their head, I go, thank you very much, as if they took a tract. And then the next person thinks, ah, oh, they took it, so I'm taking it. <laughs> but, but even when I get a rejection, I just go to the next person. So, Okay, now, now point number three. Don't judge who you can give a tract to or who you can speak to by what they look like. I mean, it would be very easy to think here, she's a Samaritan and I'm a Jew, so she's not going to listen. Just like, you know, that person is from a completely different background than me. Or perhaps they're so intellectual and I'm not intellectual. You know, it's very easy, and this is another thing I see time and time again, is where people can get into a mold where they will only speak or give tracts to certain types of people whom they're comfortable with. People of a certain age or a certain dress or listen to a certain style of music and so forth. As Ecclesiastes says, he who observes the wind will not sow. I mean... Just think about all the people in this church. How many of them would tell you, I was the least likely person to be converted? And so, when I see someone in the street who looks like the least likely person to be converted, I go and try and share them the gospel with them. Point number four, press on through those times when it seems hard. Look at verse six here. Jesus He is physically exhausted here. He needs rest. And so no one would have thought any less of him if he did not witness to this woman. But by going the extra mile here, not only did this conversation lead to this woman being saved, but she then went on to tell many others about Jesus. And so this led to many in the city being saved. I mean, for all you know, the person you're sharing the gospel with, they could be the next George Whitfield or the next Charles Spurgeon. But regardless, the value of one soul is worth it. So press on through, through those hard times. I mean, uh, think of the time when you had that outreach in Colombia. And it seemed an uneventful day, and everyone was packing up, ready to go home. And then Elena went and shared the gospel with Mike, who he was one of those, you know, know-it-all atheists. And he's, he was, did seem the last person to be converted. And he was converted then. You know, I've heard it said of Jesus, Mark 135, he got up early in the morning whilst it was yet dark to be alone in prayer with his father. And yet this was after day after day, people were pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. He had a heavy schedule. But you see, you see right here also an example of Jesus being exhausted and the reason, and the reason he got up 
to be alone with his father in prayer was because he loved his father. Well, here we see Jesus pushing through his weariness to speak to this Samaritan woman. Why? Because he is and he is still a lover of souls. We need to be like him. So verse 7 here, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, I want you to notice here, there's an important detail. This was an immoral woman. But he didn't start shouting at her and calling her immoral names like a certain campus preacher would have done. Point number five is be warm and friendly. When you're trying to strike up a gospel conversation with people or giving a tract, you know, you don't have to shout all hell's loose on them. You can be warm and friendly. You know, people, they often ask me about the church back in in Manchester, and I'll often say that the brethren there, they are very aggressively evangelistic. You know, they're always bringing people into the church, lost family members, lost people at the work and college, uh, people they meet in the street on a in evangelism, I mean, there's one brother there, he came with someone and I said, where did you meet him? He said he was on the bus this morning on the way to church. But, but when I tell Zoe that they are very aggressive evangelistically, Zoe, uh, sorry, when I tell people here that they, are, that they are very aggressive evangelistically, Zoe then quickly jumps in and tells them, you know, but, but they're very gentle. <laughs> because... She doesn't want to leave you with this picture in your mind that, you know, our brethren are grabbing people by the, <laughs> by the collar and dragging them into our church. But, but if you think, you know, entering, entering, to, entering into conversations warm and lovingly, caring for souls, but at the same time, in a spiritual sense, grabbing people by the collar and with urgency, you know, pulling them out of the flames, then I think you have something of the spirit of the New Testament. Think of Mona. (laughs) So, point number five. Be warm and friendly when you're trying to strike up a a gospel conversation with someone. Otherwise, it's very easy because we can be nervous and we can appear rude and aloof and so forth. Now, Now, in verse 7 here, Jesus, he asked this Samaritan woman, give me a drink. And the question arises, why didn't Jesus himself just draw water from the well? Well, verse 8, I think, tells us, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, apparently the Jews did trade. They did do business with the Samaritans. So when it says no dealings here, I think this is best understood to mean that the disciples had gone and there was no water pot for Jesus to draw water. We see that later. The woman says to him, you have no water pot. And so Jews would not normally share a a water pot with a Samaritan and especially not a woman. What I'm getting at here is Jesus, he did not pull out a five steps of witnessing card. You know, he didn't think, hang on a minute, 
I must start in the neutral. You know, maybe if I ask her for a drink and then I could switch this conversation round and ask her if she wants living water, you know. No, he was thirsty. That's all that happened here. And so he asked her for a drink. And so my point number six is that there is no set way of evangelism in the New Testament. Every account you'll see is different. So don't get into a a robotic, same way, every time method of evangelism. Every person is different you're going to speak to. Point number seven, that said, be on the lookout for things to illustrate the gospel with. Jesus, he was ever on the lookout to use things that surrounded him to illustrate spiritual truth. You know, he sees a fig tree and he he tells a parable of, of it. Uh, you know, here he asks this woman at the well for water and he, he uses it as a springboard to talk about eternal life. So be on the lookout for things to direct the conversation to the gospel. And you, this is another thing to pray for. Pray that, you know, something would come up so you could switch a conversation towards the gospel. Now, now you may say, well, well, that's okay for some people, but I'm just not that quick. You know, I couldn't look, see a fig tree and suddenly, you know, start telling a, a parable from it and things like that. And that's fair enough, but let me tell you how this is practical for ev- everyone. For instance, you know, often you'll hear people talking about someone's died. Maybe it's a celebrity or someone may be sick. Well, that's a good springboard to use to talk about the frailty of life. And to start talking about eternity with them and the gospel. When you hear people talking about how bad the world is. Or how everything is hopeless. Tell them the answer of your hope. Now verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her. If you knew the gift of God. And who it is who says to you give me a drink. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Now I'm going to come back to these verses in the end and look at them in the light of the gospel. But if she knew who she was talking to and the life that Jesus had to offer, she would have asked him for living water, he said. Point number eight is this. People around you may be longing for you to talk to them about eternal life. Sometimes people who you've never met before. Again, be aware of God's providence. That he'll bring certain people into your life. If they knew the message that you have, they would have asked. There's a sister in in our church back home who before she was converted, she was just all mixed up like this woman here. But then later she told us that in that time when she was around true Christians, she couldn't wait for them to open their mouths and start talking about Jesus and the gospel. So the person whom you are scared to speak to at work or college or maybe in a shop, how do you know that they are not thinking about these very things? But they don't know who you are or they've not got to know enough about you yet. Otherwise, they would ask you to tell them. I mean, and the devil, the devil will be giving them 101 reasons why not to go to you. And so pray and then take the initiative. Point number eight. 
is this. People around you may be longing, more, more people than you know, may be longing for you to talk to them about eternal life. Not everyone will, I grant you, but some may. And like this woman here, they, they may have theological questions. You know, which mountain do we worship on? I mean, you have the answers. You're in a good church. So, you know, don't let them run to some cult or so, some false teacher and give them wrong answers. Verse 11, she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that water? Now, here it seems that this woman, she hasn't a clue what Jesus is talking about here. Which, I think we're up to about point number nine. The Holy Spirit does not need a high, high cue to convert someone. If at first they're not understanding, just keep going. Don't be put off if it looks like they're not getting it. You know, God can save a three-year-old or a a 93-year-old. He can save a a mentally handicapped person with little IQ. And then she continues in verse 12. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and of his cattle. Now, the Samaritans, they had the first five books of the Bible. And then they, they broke off from the Jews. And it seems here like she's resting in her own religion. This happens when you, when you speak to people, you know, they'll rest in the Islam or in the Catholicism. They'll go back to that. So, my point here is as Jesus does, is just press on through that. He doesn't even deal with it. Point number 12. I'm going to skip down now to after this. We'll come back to some of these verses. After this woman is converted... Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? This woman gets saved. She instantly becomes an evangelist. Jesus said, you know, I will make you fishers of men. My next point here is don't worry if you can't explain everything. This woman, she didn't have much of a message here, but the fact that she was real, everyone could see. The fact that she was proclaiming so joyed in Christ and was bringing people to him, brought people to him. She didn't have much of a message, but what happened? They came to Jesus. And it may be that... You can't explain everything, but you can bring them to others here in this church. You can. Who can point them to Christ. Next point. Point them to Christ. This is what the woman does here. She can't explain much, but she points them to Jesus. We had a a brother saved and 
in our church. He was miserable for, a, for, a, for about a year. Um, the most miserable person you could ever meet. And then one day when Zoe gave a testimony, one verse of scripture, I think, in that he just got hope from. And he's got the biggest, he's the happiest person now. A permanent smile on his face. He's just completely transform but for the first few months I always remember he would all he would be able to tell people is just trust Christ just trust Christ with great delight but really the gospel is that simple I know it's more complicated than that also but just resting in him So point people to Christ. You see how they preach the gospel in the book of Acts? They preach Christ. They preach Christ. They preach Christ. Tell them of Jesus. Next point. In When Jesus starts talking about a sin here, verse 16... He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, another point, I was was going to skip to something else, but if there's obvious sin, then deal with it. When you speak to people, you know, don't preach half a gospel. There must be repentance or there's no salvation. I mean, Jesus knew supernaturally about this one. But when, when you see something so obvious, the, the last questions don't shade down the gospel. You know, the rich, the rich young ruler, Jesus told him he lacked one thing. And in his case, he had his idol, which was his possessions. And this is what Jesus typically does. He puts his hand on someone's idol. In this case, it's this woman, it's lust. It will be different with different people. But, I mean, you think of the example of the rich and ruler. Today, they would have just got him to pray a prayer and told him he was saved and not dealt with the one thing he lacked. As Ravenhill said, they'd have made him a deacon. (laughs) You know, it's tragic. But what happened here? Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, some people suggest here that she's, she, that she's bringing up a kind of diversion to hide behind. Jesus brings up a sin, and then it's like, you know, do you worship on this mountain or that mountain? And let's just stop talking about my immorality. And, but now, I, I'm not convinced that that's what she's doing here, but that does happen. Typically, when, when you do that... You know, people will try and hide behind stuff. And, it, and it's very easy to, to try and hide behind a theological, a, theolo, a theological debate. You know, a system of theology. 
So don't get don't what what I'm trying to say here is don't go up every rabbit trail when you witness. Sometimes you can be talking to someone and you can be talking for them to two hours and you come away thinking, where did we go there? What happened there? And I think the devil sent that person to stop you speaking to other people and being more direct about the gospel. You know, trust in the providence of God to bring the right people to you. But also, what I, I do think happened here, I think maybe this was a genuine question. You know, she... I mean, Jesus says, says later on that they entered into another man's labor, so perhaps she's been thinking about these things. You know, which mountain do we worship on? She sees this guy, she thinks he's a prophet at this stage. So, so maybe she thinks, yeah, this is a, a genuine question. So another thing to be aware of here is, although, yes, there are some mockers, there are some who ask questions just to, as things, you know, as a smokescreen to hide behind, but sometimes people do ask genuine questions. And so try and help them out with that. You've got, you just got to try and sense. And point, well, my last point, I don't know if we're up to 15 or 16, but, but my last point, verses 38 to 35, 35 to 38 here, Jesus says, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields and they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into the labor. So I think there's a a couple of points there I want to bring out. And that is, you know, as Paul said, one sows, another man reaps. God gives the increase. If you're sowing, Gospel tracts, if you're sharing the gospel, expect an increase. You know, Spurgeon told of a, spoke of a minister who, who said, um, said, I never expect anyone to be saved when I preach. And Spurgeon said, well, that's the reason no one gets saved when you preach to him for his unbelief. You know, when we're sharing the gospel, expect God to answer our prayers of salvation for people. I mean, think of the sovereignty of God. You know, Paul, uh, God has his elect, Paul says, in every city. In this city. So take that as a confidence that when you share the gospel, he will bring those people whom he's chosen into our midst and to hear the gospel and to be saved. Another thing from this is that Jesus says here that they stumbled here by the providence of God on someone else's labor. Now, who was here before? Now, it it could have been John the Baptist, although he was kind of far off. But I think, you know, these guys have the Pentateuch. So maybe just reading that, having some sense, maybe God was working on them through that. 
But my point is this, he being dead yet speaketh. You know, Moses who lived a long time ago. And sometimes, you know, using good good booklets like um, the Charles Spurgeon ones, The Wicked Gate. We had a guy in our church who, he was just miserable for a year. He, he wasn't being saved. And then he, someone gave him a copy of The Wicked Gate, around The Wicked Gate. He, he read it and he got saved. And then at the end of it, it says, now give this book to someone else. So he gave it to, uh, to another uh, girl in the church who was also a long time miserable. Some of you know her, um, Esther, who came, came to stay. Well, well she, she opened it, and, and she read it, and then she got saved straight from reading that. You know, that's two people. I think there's another as well. So, so good materials like that. That's, that book is not for anyone. It's for people who are, are trying to, to, to really want to be saved. I, I gave someone the book at the conference and I said, you know, don't speed read it. You know, you're going to get nothing out of a book like that if you just whiz through it. Because the book's not the answer. Christ is the answer whom it points you to. But if you, you know, tell them, chew on every sentence. Pray and ask God as they read them. Because I've seen it. He does save through those things. So I just want to go back and, and quickly look at some other aspects of this. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. I, I will not, so I will not be thirsty, nor will I come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband... And come here. That woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five, five husbands and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, again, as, as I, I said before, you know, what Jesus does is he typically puts his hand on someone's idol. So if anyone is, is here lost without saving faith, you know, or lacking assurance, you know, maybe there's some idol that's holding you back. It could be a certain sin. It could be self. Self on the throne is the issue. You know, but... What's the point of holding on? I mean, Jesus, right before that, I mean, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The picture here is the stagnant water of a well that's versus the running water bubbling up here. The picture of the stagnant water of sin versus eternal life, joy in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You know, if you're without Christ, I appeal to you. What's the point in going on being miserable when you can have life in Christ? Why keep going on? 
keep going to the, the restaurant of sin without God. You know it doesn't satisfy. And as Spurgeon was told, if you go on like that, you'll be miserable in life, miserable in death. When you can come to Christ and have eternal life, you've seen the joy of, of people around you here who have that life. You've seen the inner peace that they have even through the midst of trials. So why continue when you can come to Christ and have life? And if you notice the readiness of Jesus to give this life. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice, salvation is a gift. Don't try to negotiate it by the the amount of tears you can produce or the amount you can cry out to God. Or that, you know, don't try and negotiate it by how miserable you can feel. It's a gift. It's there. I mean, what would you think if I, if you gave one of my children a gift and you said, here, here's a gift. And they said, and they, they started trying to produce tears so they could get it off you. Or they, 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 they try to look as miserable as possible. The natural thing is to just take the gift. But what keeps a person from taking it is pride. But Jesus holds out to you his wounds, his gift of what he's done for you. So come take the water of life freely, the Bible says. It's not presumptuous. He says, come take. It's yours for the taking. It's a gift. And look at the the readiness of Jesus to give you that gift of eternal life of himself if you'll simply trust him in him. He says, you would have asked and he would have given you. If you ask him, he'll give you. Not because you ask, but because he's the giver. I mean... Think of the readiness of Jesus to give. I mean, when he says, come unto me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If he'd have said, stay, if he'd have meant stay away, he'd have said, stay away. But he says, come to where? To me, to the person, to Christ. Let him wrap your, his arms around you. As a thick cloud, he says, I have blotted out thy transgressions. As a thick cloud, I have blotted out your sin. Return unto me, for I have redeemed you. He's paid it all. If you think of the Father's love in receiving sinners, if you would have asked, he would have given. Think of the prodigal. How willing the Father is to receive sinners. When the prodigal said, I will arise and go to my father, he, he ran to him. 
and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and he will do the same this day. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Anyone in here, young children, old people, whatever age you are, if you're without Christ, if you're without salvation, go to him now. Trust in him now. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He's willing. If, if you would but ask, he will give. If you would just trust in Jesus Christ alone, have him save you. Stop looking for things to do and receive this gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, you take these simple words. I pray, Lord, you'd equip the brethren here and help them, Lord. You'd encourage them to show how glorious you are with people they know, people they meet. We pray for these divine appointments. We pray, Lord, for the meetings in the campuses next week. I pray that we would see salvation there. But I pray also that, that Lord, for anyone in here who doesn't know you now, that you would enable them by your spirit to look outside of themselves and see Christ as the living water, able to satisfy their soul, and they would come and drink from you. We thank you for such a merciful God. In Jesus' name, amen.